come on, make some noise, make some noise. Yeah. Yeah, so this is why we exist as a church. This is why we do what we do so that people will meet Jesus and journey with him. Last Sunday, we saw nine people give their lives to Christ in baptism. It's amazing. And so you saw we got to hang out around this pool and celebrate their decision. And um, my hope is that if you need to make that decision, today would be the day that you say yes to Jesus. So... We are starting a brand new series today called Instimacy, and I'm excited about this series. It's a series that's all about how to have real relationships in an Instagram world. How do we have real relationships in an Instagram world? You know, the average person has 338 friends on Facebook. Anybody have more? Okay, yeah. You're like, I don't know if I should say I'm popular or not. It's okay, I have more. Uh, the average person has 150 followers on Instagram. And so we live in this world where we are so connected with other people. We, we, we live in this world, in this society, where I can know what's going on with my friend who's in Alaska, while at the same time I can see what's happening in politics while looking at what you ate for dinner, while reading an inspirational quote somebody copied and pasted to a picture of a flowery field, and then I can see a, a video of a cat trying to escape a saran wrap maze. I can see all of that at the same time all at once. But here's the deal. Eight seconds later, all of it's old news. Right? Eight seconds later, all of it is old news. And so we live in this world where we are so connected. We are so tied to one another. We can know everything that's going on. And yet, we also live so disconnected. Reports of loneliness, anxiety, depression are high, are through the roof, are increasing even though we live in a world and a society where we're so connected. And so we can be close to people in physical proximity and yet far from them because our whole world is this right here. Yeah. See, we are constantly connected to new and more and better and bigger but at the same time, we are so disconnected from the people in our lives. So how do we have real friendships? How do we have real relationships that uh, really are, are intimacy and not instamacy? And I wanna, I wanna explain this real quick, because if you're like me, when you hear the word intimacy, uh, I, I think of something that happens between a husband and a wife, right? But intimacy is more than just that, because I think we all want intimacy, not instamacy. Instamacy is where I'm connected to you, but not really connected to you. Intimacy, Really, the, the definition of intimacy is this. It's to know and to be known. To know and to be known. And each and every one of us want to know and we want to be known. That's what we want. That's what we desire. That's what we hope for. To know and to be known. That's why you showed up in church today. Because you want to know and be known by God. You want to know and be known by other people. That's why we show up. That's why we engage. That's why we connect like we do. But technology, for all that it is and all the great things that it is um, and even though we're so connected can have a way of disconnecting us and making us feel not known and not knowing others so I want to help us on this journey over the next five weeks as we engage in this series to move past intimacy to really feeling and living out intimacy and so this is the journey that we're gonna go on today uh, is, is we're going to look at technology, the things that we have available to us, 
and figure out how even though they connect us, we're still disconnected. And so I want to look at modern day technology, but then I also want to look back at a book 3,500 years ago and see the technology then and see what that book 3,500 years ago has to say to us today in our modern, sleek, new world. So in order for us to do this, I need to give you a, a little bit of history when it comes to technology. And I'm not going to go 3,500 years ago yet. I'm just going to go back to the 80s and 90s because this is when I grew up. Like, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. I was born in 1983, and there was a time in the 80s and 90s where not everybody had a phone in their pocket. Right? There was this time in the 80s and 90s where if you wanted to call somebody, uh, like, like there were these things called beepers, right? And, um, or pagers, and, and what happened is people would wear these beepers on their belt. But, but if you wanted to call somebody back in the 80s and 90s, what you had to do was you had to go to this thing called a landline phone. And it was, this, it was this contraption that was connected to the wall with a cord. And so it was stationary, right? You couldn't take it with you. It was, it was connected to the wall. And you would pick up this thing off of the hook, off of the receiver, and you would push actual buttons to call somebody. And if you didn't know their phone number, you either had to memorize it or you would go to your Rolodex where it was written down and you'd look up their number to find their number. And, or you go to this thing called the White Pages or the Yellow Pages. They were these big books, forest killers that were delivered to your house, right? And so, so if you wanted to call somebody, you had to pick up a phone. Or if you're really old school, maybe you're at your grandma's house, she had this thing called a rotary phone. And a rotary phone had a circle on it, and there were a bunch of circles in it with numbers, and you put your finger in a slot, and you moved it, and that's how you called somebody, right? And so when you called somebody, if you wanted to talk to them, they had to be near a landline phone as well. So they had to be near whatever phone you were calling them on. If they weren't there, then you missed them. And so what you could do, if they had a beeper, if they had a pager, you could beep them, send them a message saying essentially your number and they would call you back. And then they would find a landline, they would punch in numbers, they'd call you and hopefully you were by your phone. And so this is how it was in the 80s and 90s. Like there was a time in the 80s and 90s where people actually got in their cars and they drove with no phone. Like they did not have a phone on them. At all. They left their house without a phone. Here, I'll just, I'll just tell you about some things. In the 80s and 90s, if you wanted to listen to music, the way that you listened to music is you would get in your car, you would drive down to the music store. Like, there were actual stores with, with cassette tapes in them. I'm not even talking about CDs. Some of you could take it further back and you'd be like, let me tell you about an 8-track. I didn't grow up then. We're not going to go there. But... You would get in your car, you would drive to the music store, and there would be these, these racks and shelves and aisles filled with cassette tapes, right? And you, you could take the cassette tape, and some of the music stores had listening stations. And so you would go to the listening station, you'd sit down, and you'd pop the cassette in there, you'd put on the, the, the foamy headphones that they had, and you'd press play, and you could listen to the music, and if you liked what you, what you were getting, then you could take that cassette tape over to a counter where there was a real human being. You had to interact with that human being. Then you would buy the album. Like, people used to buy music back in the 80s and 90s. And so you would buy it, and then you'd pop it in your, your tape deck 
uh, you'd listen to it in the car, or you'd get home and you'd, and you'd listen to it on your Walkman or your stereo or your boombox, and you'd listen to the whole album. Like, you couldn't skip songs, like, from this song to this song, or I want to listen to this artist or this artist. No, you just listened to the whole album because you had to fast forward and rewind, and it took too, too much time to do that. So you just listen to the whole thing. This is how people listen to music in the 80s and 90s. And then, and then we had CDs, and then you could get a disc man, and you pop your CD in the disc man, but sometimes the disc man would skip if you're moving, so you hit the anti-skip on it, and then it would still skip sometimes. But this is how you listen to music. <laughs> In the 80s and 90s, you had big uh, folders, binders of music if you wanted a multiple, multiple selections in your car. And so this is, this is music. When it came to movies, if you wanted to watch movies in the 80s and 90s, and it wasn't in a movie theater, what you would do is you get the whole family in the car on a Friday night, and you drive to this store called Blockbuster. And so you'd all get out of the car at Blockbuster, and they had rows and aisles and shelves of all these VHS tapes. We're not even talking about DVDs yet, but VHS tapes, these tapes where you would go in and, I mean, just rows of them. And when you went in to go rent a movie, you'd have to have a few selections of movies that you wanted because your first selection might not be in. So you'd go up to whatever movie you wanted and they'd have the case there, but behind the case there needed to be other VHS tapes that you would then take off the shelf and go rent. If it wasn't there, they were out of the movie. So then you had to go to your next selection and your next selection and your next selection. So once you got what you wanted to watch, you would then take it to a counter. You would talk to somebody and you would rent the movie. You'd rent it for about a week or so or, or a few days and then you brought it back. But when you brought that movie back, you had to make sure that you rewound it. Because they had this phrase, anybody remember it? Be kind. Yeah, be kind, rewind, yeah. And then there was a point where if you didn't rewind it, they would charge you for not rewinding it. And so this is how it was when it came to watching movies back in the 80s and 90s. There's a lot of work involved. And, and, and then I think about meeting people. If you were to meet somebody in the 80s and 90s, you, you set something up, what would happen is you'd say, hey, let's meet at this place at this time. Okay, cool. And so you set up the meeting, and then you arrive, and hopefully you meet up, right? Hopefully they're there. If they're running late, you, you, they're just running late, and you just wait. There was no three minute, hey, hey, I'll be there in three minute text that they send you or anything like that. There was no, hey, on my way. And you know you send that text to people, on my way, you're still at home getting ready. Don't lie. <laughs> but, but this is how it was back then. If, if you got there and, and you were waiting on somebody, you just waited. And, and, and speaking of waiting, in the 80s and 90s, there, there, there was this moment, there, there was this time where when you, you waited, you, you did exactly that. You waited. Like if you're waiting in line, do you know what you looked at while you're waiting in line? The back of the person's head in front of you. That's it. You, you didn't have a phone to pull out and look at. No, you, you just looked at the back of the head of the person in front of you. Well, or you talked to them. That's another thing. So, so while we waited in the 80s and 90s, like if you were in a dentist's office or a doctor's office and you were waiting to see them, you read a People magazine or a Newsweek magazine or a Highlights magazine or whatever it is they had there. That's, that's what you did. As you were waiting in the 80s and 90s, if you're like popping popcorn, you know what you looked at? The microwave. Like, you just looked at it and watched it pop. That's what you did. When you were in the bathroom in the 80s and 90s, you just sat there. That's it. 
You counted tiles. Like you became an expert tile person. You're like, this bathroom has 21 and a half tiles in it, right? Like you just, you sat there. At no point were you ever like, man, I wish I could watch a video right now. There, there was no, no thought of that. There was no, oh, let me write somebody a letter or get in touch with somebody. It doesn't happen like it does now. See, now, when you're, when you're waiting, you're waiting in line, you're waiting in a dentist's office, doctor's office, you're waiting for your popcorn to pop, you're sitting in the bathroom, this is how you look. Right? This is how we look. You, you know a lot of communication happens in the toilet. I mean, just think about that. You're sitting there, you're texting somebody. That's, don't tell them. And, have you, and, and don't think about it. If you get a text message from somebody, don't wonder, where are they? <laughs> but but, but this, is, this is how it was back then. There was this, this time where like, we were disconnected, and we were missing out, but we weren't missing out. Like We didn't think we were missing out on anything, because it never occurred to us that I can just swipe through videos and like things and it, never, not at all. And so what happened as technology progressed is, um, so the landline phone became mobile and so there were these cell phones that came out but the cell phones were, were really big and, and, and they were expensive and, and not a lot of people had cell phones in the 80s and 90s. But then, uh, as the cell phone progressed, the technology got better, the cell phones got smaller. And I remember I had my first cell phone, it was like a Nokia. And I was so proud of this cell phone that I had, this, this little Nokia. And uh, I kept it with me all the time, and I use it for emergencies. Like if I'm stranded on the side of the road or something like that, like I, that's what I use the phone for, for emergencies. And then, as technology got better, the cell phone got sleeker and slimmer, and I remember I got my first Motorola Razor. And I was so excited about that thing, man. It was, it was cool looking. I even had like a little um, uh, uh, hip holster that I put it in, and uh, there would be times when I would just take out my phone, and I'd put it up, put the little antenna up, and pretend like I was talking just because I wanted to look cool on my little Motorola Razor. And then, and then there, was this, there was this thing too, like texting started to become a thing. And, um, but on the Motorola Razor, uh, I don't know if, if, if there's a picture of it with the, with the buttons, but on, on the Razor, there were, there were only a few different buttons here, yeah. Um, and so in order to text somebody, you had to use T9 technology. Anybody know? So T9 technology, so you're like texting and typing all these different things because there's multiple letters on one button and so the text messages that you would send would be short ones, right? Because it was so laborious to text. There weren't these long books and novels that some of you write in text messages. But, and it wasn't a back and forth, like if you're gonna talk to somebody, you called them. That's how you, you called them. You couldn't hide behind the screen, you called them. So anyway, uh, so, so this is kind of how how it was, and then, and then there was this point where like phones got even better and they progressed, and then they had a whole keyboard on them, and like instead of using T9 technology, you could, now you were still pressing actual buttons, you know, but you could text somebody that way. And then, the iPhone came out. And when the iPhone, iPhone came out, it was a game changer. It changed everything when it comes to phones, because the iPhone is not just a phone. It's more than a phone. It's this mini computer that you have in your pocket. It's this portal to the world. You can do anything 
with this thing. And when the iPhone came out, it changed the way we live. It changed the way we interact with people. It changed the way that we have relationships with people. Before I move on, I want to give you the title for my sermon. If you would take a moment to write it down. And I hope you would write it down because I worked really hard on the sermon all week. And so you writing it down lets me know that you care. The title for my sermon is this, My Relationship with the Thing in My Pocket. My Relationship with the Thing in My Pocket. My Relationship with the Thing in My Pocket. You have a relationship with the thing in your pocket. And that relationship has grown on you to where I wonder if the thing in your pocket controls you. See, this is a great and amazing thing. With this invention, with this thing that I have in my pocket, I can do so many things. I can download the Journey app, which, by the way, I hope yeah. <laughs> I can download the Journey app so I can know what's going on in my church. And we all have phones, but again, these phones are more than phones. These phones are portals into a whole new world. With this thing that I keep in my pocket, I can call someone on the other side of the world. That's just the start, though. I can, I can text someone an encouraging message, and I can make their day. I can text someone a scathing message and ruin their day. And I can ignore somebody's text message, which is a whole other level of communication. <laughs> Don't ignore people's messages. That is the rudest thing. I, oh, and you see, they got the red receipts on. It's like, you read it. You read it, and you're posting on Facebook. I know you saw it. Get back to me. Anyway, pet peeve. Let me move on. So I can refuse to respond to somebody's text message. I can share a picture with a whole crowd of people. And that crowd of people can look at the picture that I shared and they can press their thumb to the screen and give me a thumbs up with my picture. They can press their thumb to the screen and give me a heart when it comes to what they think about my picture. They can press their thumb to the screen and they can give me a, a, a little face with a heart saying that they care. They can press their thumb to a screen and they can Show me a crying face. They can press their thumb to a screen and show me an angry face. Oh, I don't like what you posted. They can press their thumb to a screen and tell me what they think about what I shared. And when I share something, when you share something, sometimes what happens is if we don't have enough people pressing their thumbs to screens, it does something in us. How come, how come nobody liked it? How come nobody shared it? How come nobody hearted it? How come nobody cared? How come nobody noticed? See, I can post something and share it for everyone to see. And I'm letting you in on my world. And then I can eagerly wait for people to start pressing their thumb to the screen and tell me what they think about it. And based on what they think about what I posted, that can send a message to me and who I am. Am I good enough? Do people care about what I'm saying? Is this good? Do I have enough friends and followers? See, the phone is way more than just a phone. With this thing that I keep in my pocket, I can find the recipe for chicken tikka masala. <laughs> After scrolling through the author's story about how they went to India and how they love chicken tikka masala and the history of chicken tikka masala and what ingredients they love to use as substitutes. I don't need all that, just give me the recipe. 
right? Show me how to make the thing. Don't tell me about how your eight-year-old daughter loves it. Come on. With this thing that I keep in my pocket, I can express my emotions to friends, acquaintances, and strangers by sending them a thumbs up, a heart, a laughing face, a wow face, a crying face, or a mad face. I can let you know what's going on in my world by never even talking to you, and then I can get mad at you when you don't know what's happening in my world. Because I posted it on Facebook. I posted it. You didn't call me. You didn't reach out. I, I, didn't, I didn't know. But I posted it. I'm um, sorry. I guess I should just scroll through Facebook and see what's going on with every person all the time. Right? But I posted it and you didn't. Uh, with this thing that's in my pocket. I can get into time-wasting debates on politics. I can get into time-wasting debates on the state of the world. I can jump to conclusions. I can bash people, and I can satisfy my need for power. I can see the weather. I can, stock, I, I can see the stock market analysis. You can see your fantasy football league standings. You can see the status of your Uber ride, all with this thing that you keep in your pocket. You can set reminders. You can stay organized. You can track your macros. You can order toilet paper. You can get directions. You can get the temperature. You, you can change the temperature of your house. You can get Chick-fil-A points for free food. You can track your runtime and distance, and then you can post it to the world to see and applaud or judge you because you didn't run fast enough. All of this thing in your pocket, you can meet people with the swipe of your thumb. You can meet your next friend, your next hookup, your next boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. You can make dinner reservations for a date. You can send money to someone. You can play Fortnite. You can learn how to change a tire. You can watch porn. You can read a devotional from the Bible. You can listen to the latest Taylor Swift album, all with the thing in your pocket. You can do anything with this. It's a game changer. It's a life changer. As we think back to how we lived in the 80s and 90s and we think to how we live now, so much is different all because of this thing that we keep in our pocket. So I wonder how this thing has changed you, how this thing has transformed you. And this thing is great. It's a tool, right? It's a tool for us to use. There's nothing wrong with this, just like with anything else, with, um, with things like guns, money, alcohol, bricks, tools, any of those things. They're not necessarily right or wrong, good or evil. It's just what you do with those things. In the same way, there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing bad with this. It's just how do we use it? How do we interact with it? And what is our relationship with this thing in our pocket? and how we use it in terms of our interaction with other people, how does that then shape and define who we are? You realize so much of our lives revolves around this thing right here. Yeah. So how do we change that? How do we change that? Because look, there, there's nothing wrong with this, right? But the question is, is it your master? Does it have mastery over you? Is your identity so wrapped up in what happens on this thing that's in your pocket? And this, this concept isn't anything new. This is actually something that, that happened like 2,000 years ago. There, there's this time where Paul, who's an early church planter, uh, was, was writing a letter to the people in the church of Corinth, which is in the ancient Roman world. And he, and he brought up this saying that they often quoted. He, he, he said this, you say I'm allowed to do anything. This is what the people were quoting. This is what they were saying. They say, hey, I'm allowed to do anything. I can do whatever I want. He said, that, that's what you say. But then he says, but not everything is good for you. 
Like, I know you say, okay, th there's nothing wrong with it, but is it the best thing for you to do? Even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. There's nothing wrong with you having Facebook, with you having Instagram, with you being on your phone, with you being connected, none of that stuff. But the question is, are your habits, is your interaction with this thing, is your relationship with this thing the best for you? Or is it a time waster? Does it alter your mood when you see that comment somebody wrote? Do you become so focused and fixated on things that don't even matter because of this thing that's in your pocket? So how do we change it? How do we change it? I wanna, I wanna show you this real quick and then I wanna, I wanna explain how we change it and just, I told you I wanted to take you back to a book that was written 3,500 years ago. We're gonna get there, but I wanna show you this project. I just, I just love it so much. It helps illustrate our relationship with the thing in our pocket. Uh, it's this project by Eric Pickersgill, and it's called Removed. And uh, Eric was inspired to do this project when he was, he was at a diner uh, somewhere, and he saw uh, this family that was out having dinner. And um, he, he noticed that the dad was, was sitting there, and the dad was on his phone. And then the two daughters who were there at the table, they were on their phone. And then he, he, he saw the mom of the family, she was just sitting there, uh, staring out the window. And he saw this scene of this woman who was surrounded by the people who were closest to her, who she loved most. They were so close and yet they were so far away because they were engrossed in whatever was happening here. And so he created this uh, project, he called it Removed. And I just wanna show you some of the scenes from this project, yeah. Oh, here it is. So what he did was he took pictures of people and then he removed the phones or the devices from their hands so you could see what they look like. And so here it is. This is like our picture of retirement, right? Yeah, on a boat, chilling, lounging, but they're so far away from one another. Here's the next one. Yeah, we can dim the lights a little bit. Yeah, and so here they are. Next. Yeah. Next. Yeah, so close and it's so far away. Next. Next. And this is what we look like. This is us, isn't it? This is you, isn't it? This is our world, this is our life. Next, yeah. Yeah, so how do we break free? How do we move from intimacy to real, true intimacy? I told you I gotta take you back to this time 3,500 years ago. And so actually I wanna take you back a little further to that, to the book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible. And um, we see technology begin to progress and get better. We, we see it in Genesis chapter 11, verse three. And what's happening here is there's a technological advance that takes place in society. And um, because of this advancement, they decide to take on a project and do something that's never been done before. It says this, Genesis 11:3. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone. They used tar 
for mortar. So they use brick instead of stone. Brick is a technological advancement over stone. Brick is much easier to make. We can bake a whole bunch of bricks. Bricks are uniform. Bricks stack nicely. Stone, we got to cut it out of the rock. We got we to gotta shape it. We got we to mold it. We got to make it into what we want. It, it's much more time consuming to use stone. And so this technological advancement, the brick, is now found. And then they use tar for mortar. So not only with, with, with stone, we're going to stack it up. With brick, not only can we stack it, but now we can, we can use tar for mortar. So now it's more stable. Now it's more solid. There's this technological advancement, the brick, that allows them to do what they're about to do. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And so right here, humanity comes across this technological advancement, and they say, let's use this to make our name for ourselves. Let's make ourselves famous. That's what we want to do. Can you imagine that? I mean, imagine people saying, let's use technology to make a name for ourselves. Let, let's use technology to prop ourselves up and feel good about ourselves. I know it's hard to believe, but this is what they did. This is what we do. So the brick is invented. And then we see something else around this technology of the brick. It's found in Exodus chapter 1, verse 14. See, the, the book of Exodus is um, a book about identity. It's a book about freedom. It's a book about discovering who you really are. And um, the book of Exodus tells about the Israelites who were enslaved in Egypt. And then Moses comes to rescue them and give them a new identity to set them free. But while they're slaves in Egypt, they have this job of making bricks. Bricks, 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 bricks. And then there's this moment where their slave masters made their lives bitter. Is it forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields? They were ruthless in all their demands. So for the Israelites who were slaves in Exodus at this time, their identity is bricks, 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 day in and day out. Bricks, bricks, bricks. I need to make bricks. And there's a quota of bricks to make. And if you don't make enough bricks and you're my slave, you're worthless to me. If you don't make all the bricks that I want you to make, why would I keep you around? Why should I continue to feed you and house you and take care of you or give you anything? Your identity is in bricks. Make the bricks or you're nothing. You're worthless. And this is their identity for all their time in slavery. And then Moses comes along. He sets the people of Israel free, and then they wander around. In the and, and, and what we see after they're set free is God is trying to change their identity so they move from human doings to human beings. There's this moment where God says, hey, I want you to observe a Sabbath. I want you to take a day off. I want you to rest. Now again, for the Israelites, their whole identity is bricks, bricks, bricks. My value, my worth is in what I do. It's in my work. It's in my effort. I got to keep producing. And God says, no, your value is not in that. Your value is in who I say you are, which is my child. And I've redeemed you and rescued you. And to help you understand that, I want you to take a day off. Stop. It's not about bricks anymore. It's not about what you can do. It's about who you are. 
So God is trying to teach them this. And I believe God is trying to teach us some things too. Because technology has advanced and we have a new brick. And our identity is often so tied in what happens here. I think it's time for a Sabbath. I think it's time for a disconnect. I think it's time that we relook at our relationship with the thing in our pocket because it's shaping us and changing us. And it's affecting the way that we interact with other people. So I want to give you a couple things to do as we think about an exodus from our phones and observing a Sabbath getting disconnected, to reconnect with other people. Maybe we live like it's the 80s and 90s again. So think about this. With your relationship with the thing in your pocket, and I know we're modern and sophisticated now, but we're still tied to the same old brick system. And again, our bricks now are shiny and high-tech and, and sleek but it's time to escape. So let me ask you, when it comes to your phone, some indicators on whether or not it's your master is this. When you lose it, do you lose it? You know what I mean? When you lose it, do you lose it? Do you freak out? Because look, if you lost a sweatshirt, you'd be like, ah, no problem, find it. With your phone, when you lose it, do you lose it? Might be tied to the same old brick system. Here's another one. Do you find yourself impulsively and instinctively checking your phone? The average person picks up their phone every 12 minutes. It's 80 times a day. Do you constantly pick up your phone? When you're driving and you're stopped at a stoplight, what are you looking at? Here, try this. When you're driving and you stop at a stoplight, stop looking at your phone and look around at other people and see them on their phone too. This is what we do. Are they your master? Are you tied to the same old brick system? Do you, do you ever say this, I'm always on my phone? Do your kids say, you're always on your phone? Does your wife say, you're always on your phone? Do you ever have conversations with people and you have to say, wait, hold on, uh, what was that again? Because you're engrossed in a conversation or whatever it is that's happening here. It's time for a Sabbath. It's time for an exodus. So here's what I want to invite you to do to be aware of this week. I want to give you uh, some systems to implement in your life and I want to suggest these for you. So go ahead and take your phone out and take a picture of this so you can review it. Here's what I want to invite you to do. Set disconnect times. When you come home, put your phone in a room and leave it there. Have your phone in one room in the house. Check your phone at set times, not random times. Set aside one day a week where you are busy being. Here's a question. When can we not connect with you because your phone is off? Not when can we not connect with you because you're terrible at getting back to people. You've got to fix that. But when can we not connect with you because your phone is off? Instead of looking at your phone, look at the people around you. When you get that temptation this week, just look at the people around you. People are funny to look at. Interesting to look at. That's what I meant to say, interesting to look at. Take a book with you. And when tempted to pull out your phone, pull out the book and read it. 
Throughout this series, Intimacy, we're going to talk about having relationships with other people, building great friendships, great relationships, having intimacy, being known and knowing other people. But I needed to begin this series by looking at the relationship that we have with the thing in our pocket. Because if we don't adjust that, it's going to prevent us from moving forward and having great intimacy, real relationships with other people. And we've got to realize that's not our friend. It's a tool. And we've got to use it as a tool. But we can't let it become our master. We only have one master. That's right. And that's Jesus. Yep. You know, Jesus loved you so much that he died for you on the cross. He rose again from the dead so he could have a relationship with you. And we remember that every single week as we take communion. When you came in, there were uh, cups on your chairs, and in those cups there's um, a piece of bread that reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us. There's some juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. I want to invite you, just in a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I want to invite you to take communion just as a reminder that Jesus died for you on the cross so he could bring you into relationship with God. so that you can know that you're loved, so that you can know him and be known by him, so that you can have an intimate relationship with him. And if you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus and be baptized into him, I wanna invite you to do that today, to say yes to Jesus, to say, I wanna get baptized. In our app, there's a form that you can fill out that lets us know you wanna get baptized. If you wanna to stop to talk with me. I'll be outside. I'd love to talk to you and hear your story. But God sent his one and only son so that we could be known by him and so that we could know him and have a relationship with him. And today's the day to take a step to get closer to him, to make him your master and not the thing that you have in your pocket. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy, your love. Thank you. That you call us by name and you set us free for freedom's sake. So help us be free and not tethered, tied to this device that divides us from really being connected with other people who are made in your image, people all around us. As we take communion, we're grateful for your love and your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to invite you to go ahead and take communion. Dave's going to come back up. He's going to close us out. And I want to invite you to take a step today to get to know somebody you don't know here. Before you leave, just tell them, hey, the pastor told me i got to get to know you. Here's somebody's name. Maybe that's the first step to build some friendships and to become the kind of people God has called us to be.